this, um, this morning with a poem. Um, it's called, What Is It? Some win it, some want it, some hide it, some flaunt it. Some give it, some make it, some live for it, some take it. Some hoard it, some spend it, some borrow it, some lend it. Some sing about it, some write about it, some worry about it, some fight about it. Some die over it, some cry over it, some have tried to ban it, but it affects everyone living on this planet. What am I? Money. Coffee! (laughs) Close! Money! We're talking about money this morning, and some of you are just like, oh no, I brought a friend today, Mark, what are you doing? How did you not warn us that we're going to be talking about money? I told my friends, you know, it's not like what you think it is, and now they're thinking it's exactly what I thought it was. The church just wants my money. I knew it. And people's views are often that, you know, this idea of God wants my money. Uh, I was, uh, somebody had sent me this little, um, uh, little YouTube commercial. Uh, it's an atheist who at the end of the commercial just said, you know, I'm, um, I'm so-and-so and I'm an atheist and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to burn in hell uh, for all of those of you who think I'm going there. And it's like, this is on national television. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's quite something. I was sort of in shock. And then it sort of stops. And then, you know, how YouTube loads the next video, whatever's on that list. So all of a sudden loaded and this is this comedian that comes on and, and he's just terrible, you know, just totally irreverent, you know, totally hates God. But he had some good points about why he hates God. But as he's going through, he's, he's talking about this idea. He's like, you know what? Here's God. Like he says, why do you believe in him? You guys are so foolish. Here's God. You think he created the whole universe. He keeps everything in motion. That's what you claim. But he can't run his own checkbook because he always needs more money. You know, it's like a teenager. All they need is more and more money. They don't know where it went, but they just need more money. And a lot of times that's the idea of this, this thought. As soon as we start talking about money and God, it's like, ugh, I knew it. God wants my money. But I just want to put you at ease. We already took up the offering this morning, and we're not going to take up another one. So you don't have to worry that I'm going to try and weasel your wallet out of your pocket or, you know, get you to write some more checks. It's nothing, uh, nothing to do with that. Um, we have not, if you think, I know this is a church that only talks about money, we have not done a series on money since the beginning of time, like eight whole years. Since Kingsway has been here, I think we've talked about it once, but we've never, never done a series on it. And so we, uh, we're going to do that. But one of the things that, that uh, has kind of led to this reason why we haven't is you guys are incredibly generous people. Uh, that's been a, a big part of it. And that, as we, as we think about this, we had our, our annual meeting. We're going over the finances. Do you realize that between you guys and the Saturday Night Crew, you gave over $225,000 here last year? To go and, yeah, I know, it's awesome. To go and be a blessing and make a difference. And if you look around, you see lives that are, that are being changed. Some of it we just sent straight out from here to other places. We gave over $26,000 away just to other places to help with the Holloman Pregnancy Care Center, to help with those who are, um, help prevent um, suicide for those and give support for those who are kind of in that um, spot. Some money went over to Guatemala, some to the Philippines, and others to needy families right here in our community. Because we believe that's what we're here to do, is be a light, make a difference. Uh, And I love, you know, there's so many people have been taking this Pulling the Thread um, series uh, with our women. And just seeing that idea of how can I go and do something to make a difference. Friday night, you know, there's a a thing here for uh, uh, regarding Africa and just finding ways that just one person can make a difference. We want to thank you. And it's a big, big part of of the the reason that Kingsway can be a blessing is because of you. And we want to say thank you um, for that. It's a pleasure to... to, um, to, to lead and, and be a part of a leadership team when there's people with, uh, with your kind of generosity that we're serving with. So we want to say thank you for that. And so maybe that brings you to the question, well then, if you're not wanting to take up more money for the church, why are you talking about money? 
You know, why are you mixing God and money? Shouldn't this be a seminar? Like, just put in the bulletin. If you want to know about money, come on Saturday, such and such a day. Why are we mixing God and money? Well, my thought is that, you know, you've probably already mixed them. You know, if you've ever prayed a prayer, oh, God, please help me sell this house. You know, or if you've ever prayed, God, you know, please help me buy this car. Or, God, I need a job. Actually, I don't really want a job, God. Just please send money to pay my bills. If you've ever done that, you know, maybe you don't even believe in God. You're just like, uh, if you're out there somewhere, force out in the universe, I could really use a little help. If you're real, you've mixed God and money. So, since we've all done it already, we figured it's probably not a bad idea to talk about it here. So why, why are we talking about money? Did you realize that, that money is one of the things that affects every single person on this planet? And we're big on uh, relationships and marriages and wanting to see those grow strong. Do you realize that, the, the, you know, anybody know what the top uh, thing that people, uh, married people fight about? Sex. How did you get that wrong? But what's the number two thing? Money, right. So now all of a sudden, so we're not going to talk about sex in this series. We're going to do a marriage series on after this, and then we'll talk about it. So now all of a sudden you're like, oh man, it's a whole lot more comfortable to talk about money, right? Now all of a sudden the comfort level about money just got a whole lot, a lot easier. But one of the reasons we talk about it, it destroys this idea of money and people fighting over money destroys marriages like crazy in our culture and in our country. Uh, one of the reasons that we want to talk about it is most Canadians feel they need just a little bit more money. If I just had a little bit more, I'd be okay. And the main reason we're talking about it is because it's in the Bible a lot. You know, in the Bible, there's about 500 verses that talk about prayer. There's less than 500 verses that talk about faith. Any idea how many verses talk about money and possessions? Over 2,000. 2,300 plus verses about that. And Jesus talked about it 15% of the time, talking about money and possessions and finances. So... The reason that we want to talk about it is because it's in the Bible. So I want to, I know many of you, you read your Bible, you study your Bible. So we're going to do a little test today. So if you could, just grab, grab that bulletin, that little pamphlet or any piece of paper and grab a pen out in front of you. Some of you are like, you've never taken notes before, but we're, I'm going to help you take some wee little notes. You're like, I can't write good. Don't worry. This is not going to be difficult. If you can write the letter Y and the letter N, you're good. That's all it's going to take. I just don't want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning. So I, all I want you to do is I'm going to give you a list of verses that may or may not be in the Bible. I just want you to tell me, to write down if you think they are or if you think they're not. So all you got to do is write a Y or write an N and you're just keeping track for yourself. All right. So, so are we ready? We're good. Good. Okay. Number one, if you think these are in the Bible, I want you to write a why. And if you think they're those, that's not in the Bible. I want you to write an N. All right, so money is the answer for everything. Just write a why or an N. Okay? So number two, the love of money is the root of all evil. Think that's in there? Why? It's not? N. Learn from the ants who work hard and store up for the future. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth for the future. So one says store up, one says don't. Which one? All right, number five. Give and you will receive more than you can hold. Press down, shaking together, running over. Bless God, pour that, pass that bucket around again. If you've heard that one, why or in? The, the, the last part I added. I grew up in one of those churches, right? So it's better, it's better to give than to receive. Why or in? I know, some of you are like, I've been working church, huh? Number seven, he became poor that we might become rich. 
in the Bible or not. Number eight, sell all you have and give the money to the poor. Number nine, bring your tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't pour out a blessing so great that you can't contain it. Tithe, 10%. Yeah, not tie, not like necktie. Tithe. Right, got it. Bring your ties to church. I know, that's been so misunderstood, and that's why they dress up on Sunday. All right, um, uh, number, ten, number 10. Woe to you! You tithe on the smallest spices, but you neglect the more important things. So A, tithe, or B, well, it's not so important. Which one? Number 11. You ought to have invested my money in the bank so that at least I would have received interest on my money. Number 12. Last one. Lend without expecting anything in return. All right, all right. So, how many of you thought at least six of those are in the Bible? All right, quick, yeah, do a quick count, quick count, Dave and everyone else. If you thought at least six, all right. So, how many thought at least eight? Ten? At least ten? At least twelve? You're right. Those are all in the Bible, and you're like, What? No, 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 no. One just said, you know, money's the answer for everything. And then the other one said, love and money's the root of all evil. One said, you know, it's better to give than it is to receive. And the other one's like, you should be, it's all about the, the receiving. I'm going to pour out all kinds of blessing in your life. Somebody said, you know, he became poor that we might become rich. And another verse says, give it all away. I know, now you're all like comparing answers. How did you do? How did you do? That's not about this. This is why we wrote it down. So it's just you and God, you and the Lord, right? But it's a little bit confusing, isn't it? If all of that's in the Bible, well, which one is it? What side is like, I- I'm lost. And if you grew up in, in certain churches, they would tell you, poverty's next to godliness, everyone. Give away, give away, give away. Move into a hermit. Poor people, they're holy. And on the other side, you were in the spot where God wants you rich. Bless God, send me an offering on the TV. Put your hands against the screen, and I'm going to pour out blessing all over your life. Bless God. Right, so you might have been in one of those two camps. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But it's a little bit confusing, right? You're like, well, I don't know. What does God think about money? So I want, we want to talk about that. Today, the, the, if, who can tell me what the three most important rules of, of real estate are? You're right. And when it comes to studying the word, it's context, context, context. When you're reading through the Bible, you need to ask yourself some questions. You can't read a verse and go, oh, that's cool, that's for me. Because it could be something like they washed Dorcas's body for burial. And like, well, how do I apply that? You know, it's like reading through this, you're like, well, which ones are for me about money? Because you know what? He wrote this book so that we would read it and allow it to affect our lives. Well, here's, here's the questions you have to ask. Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Who were they writing it to? Why did they write it? And what truth were they trying to convey at that time? And then how does that apply to me? Because if you don't do it that way, you may take someone else's medicine. That's not a good idea. Anybody's ever done that? That just is not a good idea. If you've taken your wife's birth control, hoping it's not, the Kingsway water's not going to affect you, it doesn't work, right? So for those, I mean, our nursery is proof. But as you, as you look at this idea of, of you, can't take, you can't take the medication that wasn't meant for you, it's the same here. So you know, when you hear those verses in the Bible where husbands love your wives, and that's the wife's favorite verse. It wasn't written to you, right? And wives, submit to your husbands. That's the husband's favorite verse, but it's not written to you. And so the same, same things here is, is this idea of understanding what, uh, what was written for you and understanding as well the God of the Bible. 
Understanding the God of the Bible, of the whole thing, understanding who he is. Do you realize that God is good? And he's a good father is what, is what it's written about. But some of you, when you hear about God and money, you right away think that God is, it's scary for you. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, oh, I don't like this. I wish I didn't come today. It's so sunny. I knew I didn't want to go today. I don't want to hear what he might say. And you're a little bit, you're a little bit uneasy. It's because you don't understand the God of the Bible, that he is good. And he's not trying to get something from you. He wants something for you. You know why? Because if you read John 3, 16, what does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. God loved and so he gave. But for some, you would translate it, because of the way that you think about God and money, you would translate it like this. For God so loved money that he sent his son to start a new religion so that he could take all the money from the suckers who chose to believe in him. Amen. And you're like, oh, you know, God needs my money. And we want to talk about that this morning. Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bible, just go there. Matthew was one of the followers of Jesus, but he didn't start out that way. He started out as a tax collector. And uh, he was a very wealthy man. The tax collectors were very wealthy for one reason. They sold their soul to the, to the, to the Romans. They, uh, their whole family hated them. You know, their countrymen hated them. They were despised. So the only reason that that being despised was worth it is because they made a lot of money. And Jesus came up to Matthew where he was making a lot of money and he said to him, Matthew, come follow me. And Matthew left his, his um, tax booth and went and followed Jesus. And you can find that story in Matthew chapter 9. But in Matthew chapter 19, if you just open your Bible to the middle and then kind of go to the right, you'll get to some red letters. That's close. Uh, Matthew chapter 19 Matthew, one of the eyewitnesses that was hanging out with Jesus, he tells this story about another, another man there. And it's in verse 16. It says, Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Just remember that question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Why well, ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, There's only one who's good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Don't lie. You must honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy must have been like a teenager or something because he's like, I've obeyed all these commandments from my youth. The young man replied, what else do I have to do? And Jesus, you know, in Mark's version of it, Mark tells the same story. He says, Jesus looked at this young man and loved him. He loved him when he said the next line, which is this. Jesus replied um, to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Well, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and, and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. So as, he's, as he, in this story, this rich young person comes to Jesus and asks him, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, says to him, if you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And then, come follow me. So he says he went away sad. And what you see and what you realize, if you think Jesus is all about money, you realize from this story that, that he, didn't, he didn't do something that maybe, you know, that maybe we thought he might. 
Because Jesus knew the word. He knew things that are in the Bible. So, you know, Jesus could have saw the man come, and all of a sudden he's like, he turns away, and the rich man starts walking away, and Jesus is like, wait a second, where's he going? And Peter's like, Jesus, don't let him get away. Okay, I won't. And Jesus runs up to him and says, hey, wait, 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 stop. Okay, I know I said give it all away and give it to the poor, uh, but you might be misunderstanding what I meant. So if you turn, if you, he says to the rich young man, if you turn to, you know, Proverbs chapter 19, and in verse 17, you'll find this verse, which says this, if you help the poor, or if you give to the poor, you are lending to the Lord. So I just told you, give it all to the poor. But if you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And guess what? He's going to repay you. And so the man's like, what? Oh, sweet. So I can give it all away, and I'm just going to get it all back. How come you didn't tell me that in the first place? I can do that. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't do it. Why? Why? Because this man didn't really have a money issue. He had something far more important going on that Jesus allowed him to just walk away. For all we know, he never did come to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But Jesus wasn't there saying, hey, we need, your, you know, we need you and we need your money. He let him walk away. Why? Earlier on, if you could just flip back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in his most famous message ever, it's the Sermon on the Mount, where he explains all kinds of things and talks about all kinds of things. He teaches, he teaches uh, this, this message that so many have heard. And so in chapter 6, we find right the middle of this chunk of the message. But again, like I said at the beginning, who's he talking to? Because as you read in, in um, um, chapter 5, verse 1, it just says this. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. And then his disciples gathered around him. Who did? His disciples, his followers gathered around him and he began to teach them. His followers gathered around him and he began to teach them. So as you read this, you start reading, okay, this could be something as a follower of Jesus where he's talking to you. He says this is what uh, he begins to, to teach his followers then. And it's the same thing uh, for us today. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, or thieves break in and steal. He's like, don't store up stuff for here. He's like, you guys got closets full of clothes that are now out of style. We don't have moths anymore, uh, do we? I don't think we do. We have mothballs and we don't even see them anymore. So it's not that that's what happens, but they go out of style or they get, they get you know, holes in them. Um, cars, you know, that beautiful car, it rusts out. That, um, that house, it falls apart. Um, thieves break in and steal. Fire can take stuff away from you. Um, as I was reading about this and kind of studying and looking up, I started looking at some of the greatest um, um, sunken treasures that have ever been found. And I found the story of this one, the, the Nuestra Señora de Atocha. Um, this, this ship from Spain was huge, and they had so much wealth, they thought, we're going to send this wealth um, home. And so they, they took them two months to load this boat with their wealth which is valued at about $450 million. Put it on this boat and decided, you know what? We've got all of this money. Let's send it home. And on the way around Florida, this whole thing sunk. Well, they tried to find it. They didn't find it. This was in 1622 that, they, that, it, that it sunk. Gone. All of that money, all that stuff that they had hoped and trusted in, gone. They couldn't find it. Well, it was found in 1985 by a guy who was looking for 17 years for this one boat. Every day going down uh, with, um, to the water, every day going around this area looking for this, for this ship, knowing that it was down there. Through the process of 17 years, he lost his son uh, and his daughter-in-law at sea. He, he, every day finding nothing but continuing to just kind of look and seek and search. 
One day they found, 17 years later, they find this massive load of money and they're still harvesting this, this, this money from there. But what's interesting about that is they found another ship worth 500 million as well. And they thought, wow, we've done it. You know, 450 million, 500 million, I think we can live off that for the rest of our lives. Could you? Still with me? 950 million, like what? Until all of a sudden they find out that a judge just says, no, that belongs to Spain. So thanks for doing all the work. You need to send it back to them. Oh, gone. People, yes. And I won't say that word for the recording, but yes. So you'd be upset. Um, and so there's, there's, this, I, there's this thought that sometimes it's so easy to trust the money and think, but just like that, it's gone. And Jesus said back then, 1622, 2015, it's the same thing. Don't store up treasure here. Don't set up treasure houses here where it, it can all be destroyed. But he says, store up treasure in heaven. In verse 20, he says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. What's he saying? He's, this idea of treasure, it's actually this idea of a treasure box where you put your value, where you put your valuables. He's saying, don't store it here, store it there. And it's a different type of treasure. It's, he's not talking about, hey, put your money in heaven. He's like, well, how do I do that? Well, when you put your money in that little black bag that went around, it just went straight to heaven. That's what happened. It's waiting for you there. It doesn't work that way. You know, even if you took gold and thought, wow, this is amazing. Gold's just pavement in heaven. It doesn't really, it's not really have any of that value. He's talking about storing up a different kind of treasure, a different kind of reward. Well, how do you do that, Jesus? That sounds really good, but how do I actually store up heavenly rewards? And he said, he said to the rich young ruler, he said, sell all you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Be a blessing to the poor. When you're giving to the poor, he says, you're storing up treasure in heaven, not just here. But the Bible talks about all kinds of things. He's like giving a cup of water to a child in my name. There'll be a reward for that. You know all those amazing, amazing children's workers in this place? You guys are phenomenal. I, I, I'm so blessed that you're a part uh, and serve in that area. You know, the ones who are down there today taking care of your brats, um, or your kids, they... Uh, they're earning rewards in heaven for that because Jesus said, I see it and I know it. What you did to the least of these, he says, you're doing it as unto me. He said, for those of you who work and you have a job in Colossians, he says, work on whatever you do. If you pick fruit, if you pick up garbage, if you teach, whatever you do, do it as if you were doing it for the Lord. And he recognizes that. And he says, you know, that'll be a reward in heaven. Using your gifts and talents for his purposes, not just for yourself. He says that there's rewards in, in heaven for that. So you, think you, can, you can do with giving to the poor, but you can also get some of these rewards. And some of you are thinking, well, that's cool. I'm keeping my money and I'll just serve in kids' church, right? I will find out other ways to put rewards in heaven. But Jesus was talking about money here. And he says in verse 21, he says, because wherever your treasure is, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. See, because his real main purpose was never about where your money is. Jesus doesn't care where your money is. Not primarily. He cares about where your heart is and where it's going. Because your heart follows your treasure. It's what he says here. He says, wherever your treasure is, wherever you have that treasure house, that, where you have your valuables, that's where your passion's going to be. That's where your focus is going to be. That's where, that's where your heart's going to be. And he says, you know, where is your heart? What's it thinking about? What's it focused on? What's your life purpose all about? His main concern is that, you know, your heart, the Bible talks about, it determines the limits of your life, the boundaries, where you head. It's all coming from here. And he says, set your heart in the right place. Have your heart in the right spot. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, I want to play a little game with you. It's called opposites. So I'm going to give you a word, and you give me the opposite. 
Last night I thought this would be really easy. I said, you know, we'll start with something easy called first. Just want to say that the opposite of that is not second, okay? So, <laughs> give you the heads up in case it gets recorded. So, the opposite of first. Very good. The opposite of up. In. Serving God. Ah. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? It's like a whole bunch of things. Witchcraft, serving self, serving the devil, serving, you know, of course we think it's serving Satan. Yes, and our, our person in the back who's reading my notes has figured it out. So, but it's not. And, you know, as Jesus talks about it, as he keeps going through, you're thinking, this doesn't make sense. It says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one, you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. See, we all think, you know, if we woke up every day and we had the choice, am I going to serve God today or serve the devil? You'd be like, well, of course I'm going to serve God today. I don't want to be like serving the devil. Even if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, right? You're like, oh, I hate the world. Oh, oh wait, do I want to serve God or the devil? Oh, yeah, I don't want to be one of those people. Right? I'll, I'll serve God. And we would kind of have that, that idea. But the problem is that's not what it is. It's this idea of do we serve God or do we serve money? And um, the, the idea of master, the idea of master is which one do you submit to? Which one do you listen to? Which one gets to call the shots in your life? And what's interesting is he's saying you can't serve both. You can't submit to God and submit to money because they're, they're opposite of each other. And they are going to bring ways where the, those two things conflict with one another. You're going to have it, for instance, something like this. You hear about somebody going on a mission trip or something. You hear about what Chris is doing in Africa. And you're like, I want to be a part of that. I, you know, you go to the Watoto and you think, and you're like, wow, they sing so good. And all of a sudden you feel in your heart. Nobody tells you, but God in your heart just says, hey, I want you to give them $1,000. And all of a sudden you're like, what? That must have been the devil, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not God, right? And, and you're like, oh. You know, I was like, $1,000? That's a lot of coffee. I, I can't, you know, it couldn't be God. And you start praying, you know, God, if it's you, let it be $100. And if it's the devil, let it keep being 1000 Right, you pray, you like find some way out of it. Because it'll be this conflict. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? The other side is also true. You're, you're doing your taxes and you find out, hmm, if I, if I fudge these numbers a little bit, I can get a little bit more money back. If I compromise my, you know, what God would want, I could get a little bit more of this. And those things happen all the time in our lives. You know, you walk out of the grocery store and you got a deal because they forgot to ring something through. And your conscience pricks you and says, no, go back and pay for it. You're like, no, deal for me, right? Thank you, God, for the blessing, right? When he speaks here, which one are you submitted to? Which one are you listening to? Which one do you care about? Because he's not just writing this so, and I'm, we're not talking about just so that, you know, I have something to talk about. It's this idea of which one do I serve? Which one do I submit to? Which one do I listen to? Which one do I love? See, one master, money, cares nothing about you. One master, it's just stuff. It's stuff that you think you own. But actually, if you think you own it, and it's your master, it actually owns you. It actually owns you. You know, it comes down to things like this. If you can't sell, you know, if God puts it on your heart to say sell, like, I can't sell my house. You know, I couldn't sell my guitar. I can't sell that car. I can't sell those golf clubs. I can't cash in that investment. I can't give that away. That's whatever. You're, you're own, you'll, you'll have that internal battle. If that's the case, it owns you. It might own you. If you fight with your spouse over money, you know, it might be that one or both of you, it, it's got you a little bit. It's owning you. Because why? It's just stuff. It's gone tomorrow. It could sink tomorrow. It could be gone. 
You know, I, I was saying last night, I was telling a story about a couple in our church, and then I kind of dropped the bomb because it's actually about myself and Beth. Um, I've shared this a while back, but a number of years ago, probably, oh, I'd say eight-ish years ago, we all of a sudden woke up one morning and realized financially that we were going into debt $1,000 a month every single month. And we had been doing that for a long time. And we were in this kind of this place where like we're in a hole and we start looking at each other like, how do we get out? And we're like, think, we look at everybody. We looked at all you guys and be like, how do they do it? They have nice clothes. They go out for dinner. They have two cars. They have a house. How do they do it? And we're thinking, well, they must be able to do it. So we'll keep doing it. We didn't want to talk to anybody about it. And as we kind of went to this spot, finally we got to the place where we're like, we're in trouble. And someone told us about a, a financial advisor who's a believer and said, listen, you know what? The thing is, you've got to start thinking about money the way God thinks about money. And he helped us figure things out. We had to sell our house, move in with our in-laws. Uh, big sacrifices. You know, give, give away a car. And, you know, we had to do all of these things to get to that place. But something really interesting happened as we began to realize that, you know, we're not, who, who cares? Pride, who cares? Let's not let money own us. Let's become better stewards of what he's given us. As we started going through that, all of a sudden, things started changing. And then all of a sudden, we had money in the bank. It was like we weren't in overdraft all the time. There was actually money there. And we're like, wow. And then they told us, hey, when you have money, you can invest it. And you invest it in stuff that God made. And so they, they told us, buy gold. And this was a number of years ago when it was a good time to buy it. And it doubled in value. And I watched the gold. I know some of you want to be my friends now, right? Because you're like, the Bible says wealthy men have friends, right? So, um, but I'm just about... He also says when the wealth is gone, the friends leave. So we'll get to that part of the story. But God is this idea of buying this and seeing it. All of a sudden I had money. And I'd watch the internet because you could track the gold price. And I'd watch it every single day and be like, whoa, it's up. Oh, it's up. <laughs> it's down. Oh, it's up. Oh, it's up. And as I watched that, I realized. And then, you know, there's a certain amount. We were on a missions trip to Guatemala. And I was at this place. And all of a sudden I felt God drop in my heart. Mark, I want you to give it all away. That whole amount that you invested, I want you to give the whole thing away. And I was like, God, that's a lot of money. He's like, all right. So I'm like, what? I'm like thinking, God, you're the one. It was your word of wisdom. You know, and I was like, God, your word says, and I started this, this battle on the inside. And he said, no, give it away. And it took me like time. I was like, God, I can't give it away. You got to, you're going to have to explain to Beth because I'm not telling her, right? Like that's, that's a lot of money. And so after about f- four months, uh, I finally kind of was like, oh, you know, whatever. Few months later, a few months later, finally I was like, Beth, I gotta tell you something. Now, when I was in Guatemala eight months ago, I felt like we were supposed to give this money away. And uh, she's like, Well, she says, about time. She says, You spend way too much time. I'm like, What? Who is this woman? Right? And she's like, Definitely more spiritual than me. And she's like, Give this money away. And she's like, Write the check. I was like, Okay, I will. And ugh, I can't. And then God asked me something. You know, it wasn't this voice from above, this powerful thought. It was just that still small voice that we talked about in the hearing the God thing on the insights. And Mark, how much? How much could somebody pay you to disobey me? And I said, it'll be millions, God. They'd have to pay me millions to disobey you. And he said, nope, it'll be this amount, the exact amount of that investment. And I was like, oh, snap. You're right. It owns me. You asked for it nine months ago, but it owns me. My heart's tied into here somehow. But God, this is what you told us to do. Save up. I got the verses. I didn't care about that. You want to know what's happening here. And as it began to do that, write that, done, gone, freedom. Realizing now, I don't love it anymore because I know he's going to ask for it if, if I do. But I realize, you know what? He's, he, he takes care of us. He covers that, that thought. And I realize you can't, you can't love that stuff. One thing cares nothing about you. It baits you with happiness, but it never fully gives it. It's always you need a little bit more. And then the other side is one who loves you. 
one who loves me so much that he's willing to give his life and to pay an incredible price for us, who wants, if he wanted the worst for us, he would have let us rot in, in the decisions that we had made. He says, I'll give you an out. I'll give you a chance because I love you. Wanting the best for you. He's like, I'm a good dad. I'm just trying to protect you. This week, my son Lincoln's been begging me for a jackknife. He's six. And I'm like, you know, he's got older cousins who have a jackknife. I'm like, oh, man. So I was like, okay, you know what? I, a jackknife's not bad, but it's a little bit dangerous. So I want you to know how to handle it before you can have one. So we, we took him out in the backyard, and I said, you know what? You need to learn how to open it and close it safely. You need to learn how to use it. Always cut away from yourself, son. And so he's working with this jackknife. And, and then uh, I, I had one I was showing him. And so then, then all of a sudden, he looks away the other way. And I looked at the stick, and there was this little piece on there that I wanted to get. So I just cut it. And I had my thumb on the edge of the table, and it hit the table, but it got my thumb. I was so lucky it was the table there to stop the knife. But all of a sudden, he turns around, and there's blood all over the table. He's like, Dad, what'd you do? I'm like, this is why you can't have a jackknife, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. You know, it's, someday he's going to get a jackknife when he's able to you know, learn on his own from YouTube or something. But this idea of it's dangerous if you don't use it right. I'm a good dad. I want to protect you. I don't want you cutting your thumb off. It's the same way with this. It's not that God's saying, hey, I don't want you to have money, but it can be dangerous and it can take away something much more important. And I want you to be, be careful with that. You know, if you pursue money, he knows that the end of that is empty. If your heart's tied up in that, the end of it's empty. Solomon said it. You know, all the money in the world at the end, he's like, just emptiness. We see people in our own culture, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. They take their own lives because it didn't buy them what they were hoping it was, empty. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, just finishing off this thought. He says, so don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be consumed about these things, about this stuff. Don't be consumed with that. This idea is of what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He says, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He knows all your needs. So he says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And he will give you um, everything you need. He's saying, don't worry about stuff. Don't be anxious about stuff. Because when you do, your priorities get out of whack. You start burning relationships for stuff. Why would couples who said at an altar, for the love of my life, I want to spend my life because I love you. Why would you argue about pictures, you know, piece of paper that have like, you know, dead queens and whatever on them? Like, why? Why, why fight over something that's just stuff? It doesn't make sense. Why as parents would we distance ourselves from our own kids based on stuff? I had a neighbor when I, where I lived in Dover. He passed away, but um, a, couple, uh, a couple years uh, before, his grandkids had come over. They lived out east. They'd come over for a couple days. Well, one of his grandsons walked up the, the black driveway in bare feet and then went and had a shower. And so there was black stuff in the shower. And he went to his daughter and said, listen, I don't want you guys ever to come back here again because your son doesn't respect my stuff. A shower floor. What do we distance ourselves? You know, kids, whatever it might be that we don't have stuff. He says, seek the kingdom first. First. It's not, he's saying, don't, it's not that money's bad. He says, seek the kingdom first. Follow him first. Anybody watched Pirates of the Caribbean? Remember Jack Sparrow? Cool Jack Sparrow had a compass. Jack Sparrow's compass, you remember what it pointed to? been too long. Didn't point to treasure, you know, it didn't point north. It pointed to what you wanted the most. Whatever it was that you wanted the most, and you know what? Your heart is just like that compass. It points your life to whatever you want the most. 
And it's saying, Jesus is saying, listen, where is your heart pointing? Is it pointing to this treasure in heaven where you realize, you know, or is it pointing to the lie and still being stuck with stuff? He said, you know what, you seek the kingdom first. He'll give you everything that you need. He's not going to give you everything you want. It's not good for you. We don't give our own kids everything they want, but he'll give you everything that you need. So his challenge this morning is, are you trusting the one who loves you, who loves you and saved you, or are you trusting the stuff that's going to be gone tomorrow? Some have a hard time trusting God. You trust him. You know, for those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, think about this thought. You trust him with your eternity, that there is actually a heaven, and that when you die, you're actually going there. And you trust him with big, big stuff like your life, but just not your wallet. It doesn't really make all that much sense when we think about it. But you think, wait, if I trust him, he might ask me to give it all away. I don't want to give it all away. Here's my thoughts for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not likely that he's going to ask you to give it all away. Why? Because as you read the story about the rich young ruler, he was coming to become a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus at that point. He was just on his way there. And, and Jesus had made this request of him saying, you know, it wasn't about his money. It was about his heart. He said, you know what? Give your money to the poor. You'll get treasure in heaven. The man didn't ask about treasure in heaven. The man asked about how do I become, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, listen, give your money to the poor. You'll have, you'll have treasure in heaven. But he says, and follow me. Come follow me. He says, you know, the, the, the idea that God's going to take it all away, he doesn't. He wants to put money into your hands if you're going to be a good manager of it, and we'll learn, that, that, uh, learn about that next week. But to the followers of Jesus this morning, my question is this. If you claim to be a follower of Christ this morning, this is, my, this is his and my question for you this morning. Do you have your roots, roots of your heart? Is it in stuff? Because he's calling you to, you know, protecting you. Do you fight with people about stuff? And maybe your heart and roots are in it. Do you put your trust in what you own rather than in him? Do you have stuff that you can't lend out? Because it's just, oh. Can you give what he asks you to give? Or does that stuff own you? Not what someone else does. I've told you many times, don't ever give anything because a pastor tells you to. You can hear God's voice. You know it. Can you give it? To those of you who are not yet followers, the rich young ruler that we talked about, he wasn't a follower of Jesus, and Jesus wasn't asking for his money. He was asking for his heart. It's what he's always wanted. It's what he's always wanted. And, you know, maybe you're here this morning, like, I don't even know about this whole church thing. I don't know about that. You know, what I, I'd ask you, you know, to ask yourself, is there, is there an emptiness inside? Because for most people, if they're honest with themselves, they ask the question that Mark asked last week, is there more to life than this? There's something on the inside that you like, I work so hard, I do all that stuff, I make the money, but I don't know, there's just something missing. There's an emptiness. This rich young ruler ran to Jesus saying the same thing. You know, what do I need to do yet? What good deed do I need to do? Jesus isn't looking for you to do any good deeds. This morning, if you're a follower of him, he's not asking you to earn your way in. He's just saying, listen, I love you for who you are. I'm offering you the opportunity to leave the lie behind of trying to find happiness and joy and stuff and come follow me because I'll give you what you're really looking for. Blaise Pascal, 1600s, wrote this thing. It says this. It's my last thought. There's a God-shaped hole in each, in each person. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and the trace. 
This he tries to fill in vain, or we try to fill in vain with everything around us, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be only filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That you can keep trying to find and keep trying to fill and keep trying to find that thing that's going to that's gonna matter on the inside. But he's saying as long as your heart's here, you'll never find it. He's saying that idea of having your heart there, having your treasure there. He says you'll find what you've been looking for the whole time. You know, the Bible says God so loves the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he rescued us. When we got life screwed up, he sent his son t- to fix it up to fix, to, to, to rescue us. And his invitation to that young man that day was, come, follow me. His invitation to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, is that same thought. Come, follow, come, follow me. Paid an incredible price on a cross for the sins that we've committed so that you don't have to try and pay for them yourself. He forgives, he loves. And I think this, the whole idea of talking about money, you've got to realize what we're actually talking about is heart. As we talk about some of the other stuff from here on in, it all comes back to this. So this week, as you're faced with those challenges, asking, you know, who owns me? Because we want to say that Jesus is Lord, but who owns me? Because living for him, purposes in your life that you're trying to find fulfillment in, you'll find it in living for him. Because he's good. He's got a great, great um, path for you to walk. Just taking his hand and walking those steps. We pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thanks for your word, that you've preserved it, given us the chance to be able to read it in our language this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing what, what a book can't do, but helping us to understand it from the inside. Um, this morning, let's pray for every person here in this place. That as they hear those twinges or they feel those thoughts on the inside that are your voice, God, I pray you give them courage this morning to, uh, to walk out those things and to fully just trust in you. Thank you for your incredible love for us that you showed through Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. God, we, uh, we desire to live our lives really for you. I pray that this week we make a, a difference in the lives of those around us as we point them to, to you, an amazing, loving, fantastic, phenomenal God and Savior. 